Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 11th of October 2021. Well, where does it all end, hey? The market is at contract highs pretty well on everything. I must confess, I feel kind of pre-Christmas nervous of it going up and up and up. I can't see particularly why it should because of the physical issues around us. There is grain beginning to go off in one or two stores. People, I hope you're looking in your sheds because the temperatures are beginning to rise and it's not in a great condition. There hasn't been a lot of opportunity to put cool air through the grain either. So that is something which can be ignored while you're busy lifting potatoes, getting sugar beet out and planting next year's crop or more importantly, ranting at your merchant saying, where's my seed, or however you spend your time. So just have a little peep in the shed, would you? With that, let's start with the feed barley prices. 180 X farm standing on your head. People are very keen to buy. Certainly the nearby market seems firmer than the further forward, but yeah, it's there to be done. That's better than the malting barley price at harvest time for your feed barley. So wave bye-bye to it or keep it or do what you like, but that's a pretty hefty price, way, way above your budget. Prospects, yep, there's still export going on, but not wholly convinced the tail end of the season will be quite as in demand because, well, it depends, doesn't it? It depends on what happens to other feed commodity values. So malting barley is pretty well on fire. You know, there are molsters still projecting barleys, which other molsters are taking, which is just, you know, at some point in time, the empty steep or something's going to make you go, oh, oh, I better uh, change my spec or something. But the point is, largely, there is a kinder eye on intake. There's a large issue with ergot from other parts of the country, which are getting rejected regularly. You know, you can't help that. It has to be cleaned up with a colour sorter. Again, there should be enough margin in there to do that, but it's a pain in the butt. And quite often with feed barley at 180, you're losing it on a boat or something. It's like, well, do you know what? I don't care about all that. Let's get shot of it. So gradually the malting barley surplus is diminishing. And yeah, you molster boys, I think you need to be very careful. Moving on to wheat. Well, futures are trading as I speak at 202.50, which is kind of a few pennies off the very, very top. It makes ex-farm feed wheat in Norfolk about 194. The biggest issue for us is actually being able to get stuff moved. Let's be very clear about this. The market has a shortage of haulage. Consumers are having problems with deliveries. So far, we're meeting our deliveries and we're getting by and we're trying to plan two weeks in advance for movements. You cannot just go, right, oh, I need to move something next week and get a lorry. So times have changed and management of that particular side of things has become quite difficult and to say the least expensive. So something's got to give. The consumers, when they buy, will be pricing it in their old-fashioned way. If the trade is still selling at those levels relative to the futures, more fool them. And if they're buying at X Farm at the same old basis they were working on previously, at what point do you go broke? Is my point. At what point do you run out of money because you're chucking it away? 
I would rather not buy it than make a loss out of it. I think we all ought to not judge ourselves by how many tons we buy. It's kind of like a pissing contest, which, uh, you know, you only do that when you're eight pints to the wind having played rugby or something. Anyway, so 194x for November. It would make X farm for May next year. I do see the UK becoming tight for wheat supply because there is export going on. It is leaving the country. The position of production is slightly lower than people are anticipating. Farmers didn't quite calibrate their combines to say they had they think they've got a few more tons than they actually have got all of those things will come to the fore as we get to the end of the season and yeah i think we're going to see a market a little bit tight as we go into the tail end just like last year so 202x for may is a pretty hefty price i see a correction in the short term on uk feed wheat prices but longer term i do think we'll see these prices back again unless something really really exciting happens in the political world or china invades taiwan those sorts of things will give the market a proper kicking downwards so i can't really predict that Orseed rape, 550x into the new year, 550, apathy towards selling it, never-ending upward-moving market, the world's on fire, it's absolutely incredible serial prices. When does it end, when do we get out of the apathy of not doing anything? Well, you have to be, you know, a certain age to have gone through this process previously. I think that probably the thing foremost in my mind, yes, this side of Christmas, I think a number of commodities will come off a bit. I do think it'll be very hard to buy into next year, as I've already said. The biggest issue has to be now new crop. The sentiment on new crop is very bullish because everyone's going to have to pay a lot more money for nitrogen. Okay, so let's push the cost of production up to £160 a tonne. We're way over that still. Being gung-ho about, oh, it's got to go up, it already has, all right? And I think, let's be very clear, I think prices in the 180s is, well, it's a serious problem for feed wheat. And we look like we're going to get a weather forecast that gives us the opportunity, like we've had 60 mil of rain on Monday but there was a good forecast ahead and we had a dry weather before that. I think we're looking at an opportunity to get more wheat in the ground subject to getting hold of the seed. Now, if that is true, people will blindly plant it. They will plant it. Good seed bed tempts every farmer to just put one more field in because it's you know establishing it in good condition at the optimum time, which is October drilling. We haven't had the experience of the last two years where the rains just lashed down at the end of September and never stopped. We've actually got a dry forecast and actually on the ground people are putting more tonnage in and it's going to be well established and the spuds are coming out and they're not compacting the soil and the conditions are good. So the potential for the yield is improved. We all know these things whilst we're convincing ourselves not to sell it because the price of fertiliser has gone through the roof. I haven't pressed the button with most of our farmers yet, but I must admit I am getting very nervous about it. With all the uncertainty in the world and all of the reasons, here we are trading at 200 for 2021 crop, how dare we sell new crop for 180 Well, you know, let's go back in time to when prices were significantly lower than this. Potentially that there's an ever upward moving market. I don't dispute that and the sentiment is that way and the climate change is heading that way and so on and so on. But politics dictates they don't, they being governments all over the world, do not like high food prices. And I'm pretty certain some form of corrective action is going to occur to help food prices downwards because it's in the government's interest to have everybody happy with their food prices. So just somewhere in the background, have a little conscience about new crop prices and go, do you know what, I ought to do a bit. And I'm saying that purely acting the grown-up, as opposed to the gung-ho, shit or bust, let's just stay long of it. I think that's a little bit too risky, and we're living off the back of a very, very bullish run. So with that wiseness, this week's chat is me and my old mate Patrick Allen. 
with a slightly lighter end of our conversation, periodically interrupted by his grandfather's clock, which you can hear in the background. But quite honestly, it was such a relief to have a laugh with him and talk about some old stuff. So if you're into old stuff, listen to it. If you don't, then fine. But it made me laugh. So quite happy with that. Enjoy your week's planting grain. Enjoy your week's trading. I hope you get the market right or whoever you are and be careful out there. If ever there was a time to own central grain store tonnage, it's now. Yeah Grain at Cantley takes the worries and stresses of grain drying and storage away. Members of the store can harvest without delay and can bring their produce in the day it comes off the combine, all with discounted drying and servicing charges. Call 01493 700 447 or 01263 731 550 for details. Yeah Grain, providing the grain handling you need. If your farm is looking to diversify, the first step is having the right website and logo. We are East Coast Design Studio and we're experts at creating websites that don't just look good, but get great results. Don't send your money to London. We're from Norwich, so keep it local. Call 01603 728 978 or visit us online at www.eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk. Right, Patrick, we're back online again. We're going to have some reminiscing because we've done the miserable old harvest. So the first thing I want to ask you about, well, you better say hello, is Patrick Allen again for week number two. Hiya. Yeah, he's sounding like... Two weeks? Yeah, he's enduring. (laughs) He's enduring. You're scraping the bottom of the barrel here, aren't you? No. I've escaped the office. The phone isn't ringing and it's great. In a little while, we'll hear your grandfather's clock. Any second now, he's going to kick in again with a, a, you know, thank you, grandfather. And we'll listen to him this time. I want to start with a conversation about the donkey. Remember your donkey? I do. Yeah. I remember coming here the first time I ever came out here. You had a donkey. Would you like to tell everybody about your donkey? Oh, 666, you mean? Yeah. (laughs) Was there any nice characteristics? None. Really? No. What's the best thing he ever did to anybody in terms of chasing someone off he didn't like? Oh, well, he used to escape quite a lot. <laughs> and he'd always end up down the graveyard at the church. His grandfather's clock. Shall I start again? No, no. You're going to leave all this in. That is grandfather's (laughs) clock staying for sure. Anyway, so... He used to end up in the grave at the church and the only way to stop him because he didn't have the halter on was to throw myself at him and just get my arms around his neck. Right. And I would be dragged across the graves with him (laughs) eating the flowers off the grave of people I knew and I I sort of apologised. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. Is the dead people or the people who are mourning? Who are you apologising to? The dead people. Oh, right. That's <laughs> right. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Go and have a word with them, don't you? I guess, yes. Yeah. So, sorry about my donkey. Yeah. And, uh, oh, he's had two or three vets kick them or knock them over. One of us got scraped by a hypodermic once with some tranquilizer in for him before the uh, farrier came. Oh, yeah. Did he like people at all? He used to try and bite, as far as I can remember. He had good taste. <laughs> I never got bitten. He was a cannibalistic donkey. Yeah, he never bit me. Once was the other side of the rails, and I remember feeling slightly confident. I thought, oh, hello, nice donkey. I'll give you a little stroke on the nose. He let me give it a little stroke. And the next thing, he kind of, kind of like, you know, ninja skills. He oh. Did you touch his ears? The ears no. were the trigger. All oh, right. Yeah, the ears were the trigger. Okay, so you pull his ears, that was it? Yep. Did he ever bite, you know, someone like Matthew Adams or someone like that? Did he chase him off? (laughs) He had good taste. (laughs) That's for you, Matthew. Anyway, um, I started trading with you when I worked for a company called John Lee Bennett. Yes. uh, Who were based in Downham Market. It's about as far away from here in Norfolk as you can get. How did you start trading with them? Can you remember that? One of the reps just dropped in. Was it David Prettyman? 
Probably, as before Who my time. Who lived at Summerlayton? I know the name. I didn't realise there was a David... Well, it was before my time at Johnny Bennett. So you obviously became a customer and kind of stuck with it. Was Alan there then, then? Alan Weimer was the transport manager when I moved in there. And there was a guy called Ray Chalk who was trading pulses, all the peas and the beans. I came in having been a trader at Dalgety Rackith. I applied for the job as grain manager at the ripe old age of 25. <laughs> I thought I was so old. And um, no one else obviously wanted to work there. Although there had been some famous people prior to me. A chap called Peter Lenario had been grain manager at John Lee Bennett's. And he went on to great things, you know, heading a company called Souffle. And for a short period of time, the Centaur Group. Peter was a fantastically successful player. He was a John Lee Bennett's guy. And Guy Tasker, who, who also went on to set up a Saxon. OK. So there were some pretty big hitters in front of me. I was just a young buck who was a Dalgetty trader. And as I say, I don't think anyone else applied, probably. I'm sure it's not. 1984 that those peas went there and you said you started there in 87. Johnny Mills, I started in 87. You grew marrow fat peas. I did. When there was a bad bit of trading by the Johnny Bennett's pea trader and he managed to um, be asked to leave and Alan moved from the logistics and the transport management into okay. trading the peas. That's how that happened. Okay. Except I think if I actually remember it, he actually did both jobs in the same yeah, company. Yeah. <laughs> you do both, can't you? You know, he was good at pulse trading. Obviously, he spent a lifetime doing it now, hasn't he? You were a Marifat grower, and Alan became part of the BEPA yeah. committee, which is the British Edible Pulse, pulse Association. Yeah. And I do believe that one of your samples of Marifat peas won a competition, which was... We did win the national pea growing competition in the year 2000. But we've been growing dried peas on the farm since about 1966. Yeah. So we'd had plenty of practice. Do you miss them? No. <laughs> Or did you go back to them? It became a habit, I think, a bad one. Well, it's just, I mean, <laughs> what is the trouble with it? They fall over, don't they? They fall over. Peach control, and also around about that time, a lot of the useful chemicals were being banned. banned. Yeah. So bindweed became a big problem in the peas and in everything else, and we're still almost paying for that. We have to consider bindweed in sugar yeah. beet. So with that, the dropping of that particular crop was a very useful break, wasn't it? Peas are yes. great in a rotation. And it is now something we're crying out for, but it just isn't a viable or an attractive option. No, there's more frozen peas grown now, but there's two fields just been seeded down over the hedge of frozen peas, you know, just been cultivated in and not being yeah. combined. I mean, so what happens to all the northerners like mushy peas then? So just like tough, they can't have them anymore. I guess. So. Mine used to go to Japan and be covered in a ah. fishy cheese paste and then shipped back again. Alan used to deal with this guy called Mr... I think it was Mr. Karma, I think it was. I might be wrong with that. Alan, you had to correct me anyway. I always remember one day he was talking to Mr. Karma and he said, uh, they're discussing price. And he said something to the effect of, oh, if you give me that price, Mr. Karma, I would think it was my birthday. And the communication between this Japanese guy and Alan was such that we was relying on Mr. Karma's, obviously, English as opposed to Alan's yeah, Japanese. Yeah, yeah. And they just didn't get the nuance of what Alan was trying yeah, to get, yeah, the yeah, joke. Yeah. Didn't, there was no humour whatsoever in the dynamic of it. So Mr. Karma then decided it was Alan's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so Alan then spent the rest of the ten minutes explaining it wasn't his birthday. And then Mr. Karma asked him, why did you say it was your birthday then? <laughs> <laughs> and he gave up and just sold the peas and got off the line. And Mr. Karma thought he was a nutter, probably. <laughs> I can remember rolling around, <laughs> holding my belly on that one. But yeah, I remember coming at the office once, just before Christmas. I had a bet with you, Fiverr. I said it would go up, and you said it would go down. Anyway, I lost yeah. the bet, and I came into the office at Allied Grain. Yeah. And Alan was there, and somebody said, "How old is the photocopier?" And Alan just quickly said, "I didn't realise that was his birthday." <laughs> And that just creased the office. 
<laughs> he's obsessed with birthdays. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, he's had enough of them now, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. So you're a national champion, the pea grower, the Marifac pea grower of the year. And you got presented with, what did you get? The trophy. Yeah. We went to the dinner in Peterborough. Yeah. Yeah. Peterborough. <laughs> Peterborough. Yeah. And there I was given for the millennium in the year 2000. Fantastic. And you got a certificate? I got a certificate. Yes. <laughs> We'd already won two or three certificates for yes. the best in the east of England. Yeah. But you've never been champ before. So there's, your, there's all champ. your certificates year after year. Fabulous Marifat Peas. Now, what happened the year that you stopped growing? Well, we stopped growing them in 2011. That was our last year, I think. Yeah. yeah. And Alan missed us. Yeah. So I was given a certificate saying something along the lines of, <laughs> this certificate is to say that PJ Allen did not grow peas this year, therefore didn't enter the competition. So he had a certificate to say, I didn't grow peas and I hadn't <laughs> won anything. <laughs> Do you still get certificates now? I suppose it still happens, does it? Or have they all given up on that? I don't know. I, I don't suppose. know. I don't know. They're beautifully calligraphy. The writing was fantastic on them. Yeah. Well, perhaps we need to have old time's sake, just for a giggle, a strip of Marifat peas to get a sample out of, hand weed them, send them in for the competition. The fact there's only about 500 kilos of it. That's all you matter, need. It? Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. yeah. And I just keep printing the certificates every year saying <laughs> I haven't won anything. <laughs> Anyway, so I mean, yeah, those happy old days. Alan and I worked together at Johnny Benz and we worked together for a while at yeah. Allied and he's now with Saxon Agriculture and he's one of the people I want to get on the podcast because we go back a very long way, me and Alan, with I knew him previous to when I walked in the door at Johnny Bennett's and there he was. We'd played football together at a okay. team called Bungie by God. Really? I was about 17 or 16, I think. Okay. And then later on, we played at Akel United together. I always tease him about a particular trick he's got where back in the day, you could pass the ball back to the goalkeeper. And Alan used to get the ball rolled out to him from the goalkeeper. He okay. was killing a bit of time. And he would like take a look up like Alan Hansen would, if that means anything to you, <laughs> yeah. for who to pass it to, stride a couple of strides forward. And then the forward would think, now nah, he's not going anywhere. That, you know. And Alan would feign about to kick it, do this big whoop, and dummy it. And the... Stop the, and then turn around and pass it back to the goalkeeper. Go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> that was his trick. <laughs> it's pretty boring to watch for some people, but it was, <laughs> if you knew it was going to happen, it's almost like, you know, you'd, yeah, it's like an 18 dance. You know, at some point during the game, it's going to happen. If you had a crowd, which we obviously didn't have, they would have cheered that moment every time he did it. Oh, brilliant. I believe he came from Ormsby, didn't he? He was born in, yeah, Bred- no, yeah. in Ormsby, yeah, just down the that. road. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, he went west, didn't he? Yes. He's tempted by the bright lights of the flatlands. Yes. Which is, you know, strange. Yes. <laughs> and he's stuck with it, and he's like, I guess he's still doing missionary work out there trying to tell those Western <laughs> boys this, you know, they're not quite right. <laughs> and then, obviously, following, we've been knocking together. You've mentioned Allied after Johnny Bennett's. You know, I've swapped companies a few times. Johnny Bennett's closed. The parent company said we're going to close the business, and it wasn't through lack of profitability in the grain department. I had Ivan Bishop working with me. Yes. And we had a great little team where, you, you know, you, you have teams in your life where you work, and it's really good fun. And I had one at Dalgetty's when I was a kid. The Johnny Bennett team, Alan, myself, and, and Ivan were funny. You know, there was just good banter and an, an understanding of what each other meant. Um, and you have that in your office now, don't you? I love coming over that office. You always aim at it. We'll come to our lot. I remember we started expanding and exporting stuff. We exported some wheat to Ireland. And Ivan did it, Sif, he did all of the book, the shipping, did all of you know, all of the stuff. And he put all the details down of how he made money. And the accountant came in and he said, you know, we're going to be paid in punts. Mm. And the, uh, what was his name? Richard, I can't remember his surname. The accountant 
didn't realise that the Irish currency was a punt and he thought he was taking the mickey. And he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. So you know, really, you're going to get this many punts. <laughs> I said, I've, oh, man, what am I doing at this place? And anyway, Ivan went over to the Dublin dinner and he had to go and see a couple of people while he was over there. And he arranged, because he, he didn't have... Did he have a, yeah, well, he did have a company car, didn't he? That's right. His was uh, a second-hand one that the old chemical guy had, and it pretty well wore up. It was a bit flashy, but not very reliable sort of SRI Vauxhall thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Alan had just got a brand-new Escort. Yeah, he loved it. He was good with his cars. He looked after them. And Ivan said, you know, do you mind if I'm going over there if I have a decent car to drive around yeah, to yeah, see yeah. the clients? So, yeah, sure, no problem at all. So Ivan goes across, and he has an accident. <laughs> <laughs> And because of the nature of the banter between the lovers, he, he phoned up Alan and he said, uh, hi, Alan, kind of the insurance details, please. And then Alan went, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Because oh. he's really proud of his yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> <laughs> because of the banter, it took ages for him to actually genuinely believe him. Anyway, that's the point. Brilliant. No, so back to, you're right, teams, you know, you try and capture that and again you know Allied Grain Ivan and I worked together and to a degree Alan but Alan was mainly based down at Dis and Ivan moved down to Dis as well and I was kind of stuck out at Aylesham on my own but those little periods around that you work with other people who you don't actually have that kinship with and it makes the job a pain I have to have goodwill and humour I agree but not everybody's humour are Humour doesn't always suit, does it? You see, we go back to your Robinson's days, working in with your team as a mm. young man, and the various pranks that everybody plays on each other, which today would be described as cruel. Dangerous. Yeah, dangerous and cruel. <laughs> but it's funny as hell, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And it's that ability to... You've got to take it. You've got to go, ah, oh, and know that you've been an idiot, and be big enough to kind of go, I'll bide my time, my day will come. You know, I will get my own back one day. Yeah, and that's the beauty of apprenticeships. Mm. You get your edges knocked off... Yeah. And you get an education in the world, which I think is terrible, that a lot of kids aren't getting it. Absolutely. The edge is knocked off you. When I made a mistake, which was book ledger at Dargan Iraqi, that's grandfather's clock again, by the way. You know, if I made a mistake, Don Patterson, who was the governor, used to, if he realised or found one, he would come and hit you around the back of the head. Yeah. And go, attention to detail, smack. Yeah. And the number of people I'd like to smack around the back of the head. because they've yeah. But it is as simple as that. And it doesn't half focus you to not get it wrong. Exactly. And that was the old way to learn on the farm. As I said, when we had four or five men here, mm. you learnt by embarrassment. Because yeah. you go and do something, you do it wrong. Yeah. Nobody would ever show you how to do it. No. And they'd laugh at you. Yeah. And you think, well, I don't want that again. Yeah. So you'd watch somebody and see how to do it. Yeah. And that's how you did it. That's how you learn. Well, say so you learn to talk to farmers. You sit in there as a sample boy and you listen to people who persistently ended up in arguments with people and you listen to other people who somehow seemed to get their way and get a better result than... Yeah. So there's some people who are brilliant at dealing with farmers and others who are absolutely awful at it. And yet they're both same level IQ. It's just, it's about understanding the key trigger words that switch farmers' buttons. Yes. You know. I guess I've never tried to sell to farmers, so... No, you've spoken to enough of them. You know that there's certain things, if you made a comment about someone's beet crop, knowing it's awful, they'd be sensitive to it. So you'd yes. kind of go, it's been a tough year, isn't it? You wouldn't say, oh, what you done there, boy? Yeah, yeah. I you guess. know, yeah. <clears throat> it's as simple as that, isn't it? It's it's understanding the person. Now, if, it, if someone came up to you and said, what you done there, boy? You'd go, well, I thought I'd leave the odd seed out to see what grew in between. Or something. You'd be able to answer. <laughs> I would have a clever answer, but it would still beat me up if I got it wrong. 
But that's not the point, is it? In a good, healthy team, you don't want to get it wrong. You don't want to be embarrassed. You want to make it all work. And yes, you are embarrassed. But embarrassment is, unfortunately, that is the greatest teacher. Exactly. And nobody's perfect. We're all going to trip up at some stage. If you know that, and if you're strong enough to take it, strong enough to go, okay, and so, yeah, I got that wrong. I won't do that again to your colleagues. And you won't, you know, you won't make that mistake again. If you don't re-examine your behaviour, or why is it that the people get really angry with me when they talk to him, they don't seem to get angry. Why is that? And it's nothing other than a choice of words. It's no different to picking up the wrong hammer to hit a nail in. You need to learn the language that persuades. Well, it must be how you approach somebody as well. How you look at them if you're dealing face-to-face. Yeah, sort of (laughs) cross-eyed. One eye eye on the train and one eye on the station. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) I'm sure I could sell things over phone, but I would be no good face-to-face. Of course you would. It's just genuineness, isn't it? You sell your barley, you come in and say, here's my barley. You know, it's your product. If someone says, this is rubbish, you go, yeah, it probably is. But you think, okay, you're going to have to pay more money now. (laughs) (laughs) It's interacting with other people. Is the other person feeling like they've won or feeling comfortable, isn't it? Yes. Is winning the right word? You get a buzz from it. Right, if I buy your wheat and I buy it at, you know, £190 a tonne and I make £2 a tonne in the process of doing it and then I can get the haulage sorted out, those were the days. (laughs) That is like as high as you're going to get in terms of price from anyone who can actually do it at the top of where the market is. Someone else could come along and say, I'll pay you more money than that and work effectively for a loss at that point. Yeah. And because they think the market's going to go up, they're anticipating it going up or they can get the haulage done cheaper or some magic thing. But the dynamic of me buying off you is, have I won by buying it? Some farmers think that you're very honoured if you get the chance to buy (laughs) grain. And they can choose who they sell it to. But, you know, is it winning? Probably. That's my objective. It's a form of winning, isn't it? But a lot of farmers don't like to see somebody else making money from them. The number I know who get wound up is a trader pulls into their farm in a quite smart, posh car. Yeah, yeah. Why should he have one of those when he's making money? That's not the way of it, is it? Well, I've had that from 25-year-old kids who look at my car age 58, 59, and they go, where'd you get that from then? And it's like 40 years of hard work, Sonny, what about you? Exactly. You've got a car that's worth more than mine, haven't you? Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's my right. No, they don't ever say that. Yeah, but they would get that from the fathers and from the generations. That was the way of it. Well, this podcast has always been dodgy ground for me because the only thing that's ever evoked real emotion is when I took the mickey a little bit out of historical sort of farmers' wives. I'm only going to say that this week just in case anyone gets excited again. (laughs) There was a stereotype that used to exist that were marginally deluded i would say nowadays they are much more hardworking, and with it i'm probably in trouble again <laughs> no i would agree with you there is a stereotypical <clears throat> farmer's wife yes <laughs> as are our farmers i'm not going to be drawn on that one so back to the team things back in your mechanic days it was a laugh you go to work you're paid bugger all because you're an apprentice but you look forward to going in because you know you're going to have a day full of laughing your head off about something stupid yeah and the cars we worked on some of the fantastic things we worked on you know the mercedes and yeah brilliant yeah porsches and anything that had the bosch mechanical fuel injection aston martins and yeah we worked on some fantastic stuff and we got to drive them down the road as well. Oh, yeah, no, that's the bit. <laughs> Can you drive through the middle of Norwich? Yeah. Uh, down, the, down the Haymarket or, you yeah. know, all right, this is my car. <laughs> Just whip off your bussies or your Robinson's outfit and go, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hot chocolate on heavens in the backseat of my Cadillac on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I used to drive up and down Yarmouth Seafront when I got bills of ladings in Ivan's car. Like, pretending, oh, right. like, pretending <laughs> it was mine. <laughs> All right. Anyway, never pulled. So... Where we are now, the little lot at Aylsham, you know, over a period of years of being part of teams that worked and part that didn't and parts, you know, where you're estranged, I've always found the best thing is to try and get a group of people to actually knit together and have some form of humour because otherwise there's no fun. Going to work with people that are kind of just mechanical. And I remember walking into an office in Barry St Edmunds, it was the old souffle office, and there were two guys in there who just were at war with each other. Mm. And the previous boss, I'd been given the job, it was when Alston Grain merged into Centaur and they decided to merge it again with souffle. And I was given the job of managing East Anglia as part of the executive management grand title job I had. And they tried to make me close the Alston office. Boo. I went down to Barry St Edmunds, and there were two people who didn't like each other, and they were put right next door to each other. And it was nuts. They was like, wouldn't talk to each other. So the first thing I did was split them up. Yeah. Because there, this atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By splitting them up and putting one guy, his team in there, they were able to be like, you know, whatever they were, bitter and twisted in that room. And this guy was able to flourish within the team he had in that room. And the whole thing was a much, much healthier. Oh, I couldn't get those two together particularly. And you could say that's not dealing with it. But you're not going to force two grown men who are older than me to put their differences apart to sort their problem out. No. And it's things like that. That must have evolved over a number of years. And I think that's one of the things that's missed sometimes if you have too kind of corporate or too clean an environment where that freedom to be vaguely humorous and try and find things that are funny at someone else's expense possibly but that risk you have to take in order to make the people kind of react and be funny back that's what I've always searched to get because it then makes my job fun Yes, it does, but it almost evolves. Yeah, well, it's the ethos of the people. You're right, in the Doing Grain office at the moment, we have got a team of people that are immensely, you know, they're hilarious with each other. There's yeah. digs and there's humour. It's just funny because you know if something vaguely embarrassing, you're going to be absolutely nailed. The other day, Liz came in. She's with us three days a week and, you know, she's quite right. The people in the trading team and the transport have felt a bit under siege and it's been a bit full on. Lots of hours in the day, lots of phone calls, lots of whinge wine, whinge wine. Someone was making a cup of coffee or had made a cup of coffee and had left the milk out. This particular thing is Liz's like, you've got that milk in the fridge or why don't you tie it up the kitchen? And there is a point at which you just, you know, so she put a sign up saying, put the milk back in the fridge. Big sign, passive aggressive sign going, put the milk back in the fridge. But more importantly, she said about it. And, and the person who got the knock was Ian. And Ian just went, yeah, we are. Sorry about that. Anyway, it transpires. He was chucked under the bus by, I think it was Ben, possibly, I don't know if Joe was there or not. Anyway, the point is, it wasn't Webby who done it. He was slaughtered. He said, it wasn't me. And she's like, anyway. But the point is that the other boys, yeah, that was Ian. Yeah, like that. Boom! Yeah. Straight as yeah. it was. In fact, Ben Ben had left the milk out and he <laughs> nailed Webby, and it was just like. And it's that you can do that if you have a team of people that then you can knowing that everyone else is going to laugh like crazy about it. It could go horribly wrong. And yeah, you know, Liz was unfairly wound up by it, and it wasn't very nice. And, and you know, but on the other hand, it was you know the fact that it was Ben and it wasn't Ian, and Ian had to take his no. He couldn't get any words out to get himself out of trouble. It's just <laughs> that is the skill of a team that are quite happy to take the Mickey out of each other. And, yeah, and of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah, the only problem we have at Aylsham this year is we're about to lose Niall and Rob from the grain store who, you know, well, Rob's going to be working with us on a self-employed basis, but Niall's moving up the road to Ben Burgess. Yes. There's a little breakup of the team, but I'm sure we can find a person who is, well, who's going to be capable of being teased, I suppose, someone who's going to fit into what we try and do. That, this is a job thing. interview. Yeah. 
he didn't come do Niall's job. He plays darts for me a bit, and he <laughs> mended my hedge cutter. Uh, what else has he done? Uh, oh, yeah, he worked the Weybridge a couple of times. <laughs> No, it doesn't listen to the podcast, so I'm safe. And, you know, yeah, we're looking for a senior person and, you know, a support for him. And we've got Rob overseeing what they're going to do. But there is a dynamic of the team that they're very much part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Niall, if he did listen to podcasts, he would take it in the right way, I'm sure. <laughs> He's a gem. That He's... boy is a gem. <laughs> He's special. I agree with that. I shouldn't call him a boy. No, he's brilliant. Yeah? He's a one-off. He definitely is one of them, yeah. He is hilarious. He is the funniest bloke. If you get him on a roll, he's the funniest bloke. I can imagine. He is. We had a Christmas do when he first... No, a harvest do when he first joined us, and Ian had renovated a house in Oldbrook or Red Lion. Yeah, the old pub. Yeah, the old pub. And, you know, we didn't know much about Niall, and then Niall said, oh, it must be difficult going to sleep, Ian. And, uh, oh, why's that? He said, well, all those people outside with the pitchforks shouting... It's the red lion, not the dead lion. <laughs> Where's my pub and stuff like that. And everything Ian came back with, he just buried him with a quick bang, bang, bang. It is a, a skill that he, if he doesn't get on at Ben Burgess, he needs to go on stage, you know, yeah. comedian stuff. Anyway, so the team and breaking up of teams within the Doing Grain office at the moment is good. It won't last forever because it never does, does it? No. You know, it's a decade. If you're lucky, it's 15 years maybe. But largely, someone goes somewhere along the line and then the whole thing, there's a whole new dynamic. And sometimes you get three or four people leave at the same time. And it's those moments when you have to work really hard to get back to a place, not to replicate what had gone before because it's different personalities. Yep. The aim is to get a load of people who have a common piece of ground from which they're happy to yeah. work with and they really want to come and work with each other. That's the trick. Yeah. That's the toughest thing. Yeah. Well, getting back to the days at Robinson's, we were all apprentices pretty much, a few skilled men there, but mm. we were apprentices doing a skilled job and most of us handed in our notice we finished when the apprenticeship finished. I finished on my birthday. You couldn't get, wait to get away from it. And because of that happened with elder apprentices, that all dispersed. Mm. I'm still in touch with three or four, at least, of them. Over the last year, we seem to have found each other again through Facebook. And, yeah. and we go to the King's Head at Coltish and we all have a good old reminisce. Yeah, that was just brilliant, isn't it? Why we found a particular thing funny, I don't know. We had a one-arm paint sprayer there. <laughs> At Robinson's, yeah. you know, and <laughs> how did he, why would that be how funny? He, how did he hold his tin then? <laughs> oh, no, you no, this wasn't with a brush. <laughs> he used to have his other sleeve pinned up with a great big safety pin. Right. Yeah. So he just used to, I mean, get the gun, I guess, and just kind of like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he did it, yeah. Yeah, the I know it, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't reflect upon, can you? <laughs> yeah, I don't suppose we can have a one-armed grain person because you need to you know, look into recruit. So you well, can't, he wouldn't, you can't he wouldn't put, be able to rub it out in the field, would he? It'd be more, wouldn't be able to shovel up the, the stuff that people spill. The Spillage Idiot Award goes to somebody this year and the, the people in the yard would be the people Oh, yeah, I've seen that, that trophy in the... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's one of the things we're going to mention tonight at Ailsham Grain's 40th birthday party. We're going to mention the trophy for every year the store introduced a Spillage Idiot. So the person who spills the most stuff is awarded the trophy at some point. During. Including customers. Oh, yeah. It's customers who bring oh, the stuff in and tip it place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of them very bad at aiming. That's where they get the award. <laughs> but yeah, it's stuff like that, really. Anyway, we've probably driven some young people nuts by talking about the old times. I, I would just say, I think we've had a, two or three of your grandfather clock uh, chimes in this, haven't we? 
I'm really glad I came out here today to talk to you. We've done two podcasts worth and I wanted you to lift my spirits because I've been so grumpy in the last few weeks. So, Patrick, you've done the job. I feel uplifted. As have you for me. If anybody finds this interesting... I'll be amazed. Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't have to go public, this is, you know. This is, this is a vanity project. Now, the real benefit of this, it turned from being trying to be grown up and serious and come up with things and trying to explain to the outside world how it all works with a bit of market report on top. This has turned into capturing people forever. You are now captured. Your voice will be listened to if you have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. That might scare the hell out of you, but, you know, we had Murray Ferguson, a near neighbour to yours, a few weeks ago. There's people who have stories to tell, Mm. And if you don't tell them, you tell them to each other, you tell them to your mates, you reminisce, but they don't ever get kept. Unfortunately for everyone now, digitally, every conversation is kept. Patrick Allen is on record. He lived in Windmere Farm Hickling in the dates between 1970, 60, whatever it was, yeah. or 50 even, and 2021, yeah, yeah, yeah. 25, 30, whenever you peg it. And here he is. This is him. This is what it was like in those days. And stuff like the donkey, stuff like the evolving of time from those times through to the modern conversation we had last week about the, you know, 21 harvest and all of the miseries of this particular year. Mm. It's recorded. It's done. It's a force for good. In the end, it's what's keeping me doing it is now the prospect of seeing lots of people through this year and having a conversation with them like this to kind of rubber stamp the fact that I've known you for the best part of 40 years. 40 years, yeah and uh, enjoyed every minute of it. Oh, brilliant, thanks. So, Patrick, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. At last, after about 84 asks. Ran out of excuses. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.